Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. As I said, we are in part three of a series called A World Without Jesus. Because speaking of just a world without Jesus unrelentingly would be so depressing, we're also weaving into it what it means to be in a world with Jesus. In the first lesson, we talked about the crisis in our, in our world because people have lost what standard they had. The social contract means nothing if we cannot agree upon the meaning of words, if we cannot agree upon truth, and whether truth is something solid or something very malleable. By the way, a very good question came in last time, and so let me just lead with that. Whenever we say the words, my truth, it sounds really, really valid, but it is not, and we need to sharpen our language. And that bothered uh, some people because they were saying, well, you know, my truth is that I was hurt by this. And my truth was, well, no, that's not your truth. That is your reaction to something that occurred. In other words, I can say, I don't like roller coasters. Well, fine, but that's not a truth. It's just letting you know, I'm not going to get on it with you. But if you say roller coasters are evil, that's my truth. I'm going to have to go, no. No, roller coasters just are. Your reaction to them is your reaction. And you can say, I don't like this, or I do like this. We have to be very careful with the word truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that is meaningless if truth is something which we can bend at anything we want it to be and fit us, rather than approaching the standard, demanding that the standard be us. There's a difference. So let's just keep talking about this. I want to hit you with some t- uh, statistics here. You do not have to remember them. I just want you to feel the weight of them. Suicide is the third leading cause of death among teens in America, counting for about 4,400 deaths a year. Over 14% of teens have considered it. 7% of American teens have tried or attempted suicide. There are certain uh, other conditions that increase this, bullying, being bullied, and there are, they're all over the place here, but the studies come out between two and nine times as likely to commit suicide or to attempt to commit suicide as others, other teens. Victims of bullying, um, they, they make up, in fact, a group right now estimated that 160,000 American children do not go to school out of fear of being bullied that day. Now, what's, what's, how do you bully? You bully by telling somebody there is a standard and they violated it. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're whatever. As if there was a standard out there and you have failed to meet the standard of this world. You know, you're to this, you're to that, or you're not enough this, or you're not enough that. 
And it is all based upon as if the bully has a standard. Sometimes the bully's standard is just, I'm powerful and you are not. I'm powerful because I have friends, or I'm powerful because I'm strong and taller than average, and you're smaller and weaker than average. Or you learn a different way. Uh, whatever it is, they apply their power and their status as if it were a standard, and they feel okay punishing you if you do not reach that standard. 10 to 14-year-old girls are at greater risk to committing suicide due to bullying than any other age or gender group. But it gets worse. In 2011, there was a massive survey done of American teens. They asked them, had they ever felt frequent, pervasive, deep sadness? 21% of boys said yes. 10 years later, 2021, it was up to 29%. That's a lot. Among girls in 2011, it was 33%. In 2021, 10 years later, just 10 years later, 57% of girls. And we have to admit, there have been a war against boys for a very long time. Boys need to be medicated to behave in school, and boys need to sit in a rows. They need to learn like girls learn, sitting and listening rather than participating, running, getting dirty, falling off things. You know, we have made war on anything that makes a boy a boy. And every commercial, every, in my lifetime, where there's a man and a woman, the man's the idiot. We've all seen that. And in uh, sitcoms, in fact, the only sitcom I can remember in modern times that wasn't like that was The Cosby Show. And then he went and ruined it when he found out what his private life was like. But there's also a pervasive war on women. Right now, their sports are being taken away from them. Their safe places are being taken away from them. The locker rooms, the, the, um, the restrooms. Title IX that was passed to help girls achieve sports and have funded sports and be a part of sports now may as well not exist. There's a war on them. And they feel no hope. Plus, as we talked about in the first one, first part, they're told there is no hope for them, that the world is over, that climate is going to kill us, that politics is going to kill us, the bombs are going to kill us. There's a, there's a consequence to doing this to our kids. I was going to share, and they were in my notes originally, some stories about kids who took their life after being cyberbullied. But I decided to remove that. It was just too painful. And we don't know where all these videos end up. And if it was one of the families that suffered such a loss and then heard their name of their child, that, I don't want to cause that kind of pain. This world, in short, will never let you be at peace. You are too fat. You're too skinny. You're too busty. You're too short. You're too tall. Your nose, your face, your hair. And by the way, if you are a bit older, you may not realize how pervasive this is. You can actually put on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat, you know, I love Jesus. And the hate that will roll into your life is enormous. The attacks. Well, somebody that looks as stupid as you, no wonder. And they will go for the looks. They will go for everything. They will try to bring you down and destroy you. Your status will be questioned at all times. 
Whatever you do will be trumped at all times. You will never face peace in a world without Jesus because there's no solid way to measure your value. None. If you take away Jesus. It is rather like all of us here at the soundstage. I think there are probably 20 here, maybe a bit more in the mid-20s. Um, if we were to all arrive to build an addition to this house, and we all had our separate concept of what a yard was or a meter was, what would be the chaos? It would be a chaos. And since we have professors that are saying two plus two can be five, I worry about bridges and I worry about airplanes. There needs to be a standard. Jesus gives us that security. He gives us that significance. You will not find it in the world. You will not find it in the love of another person. They cannot do that for you. You cannot root your happiness, your joy, and your meaning in another person because people change, and you change, and they're not God. Therefore, we, we have to find a standard somewhere. We have to find a champion. So I want you to get your Bibles. And by the way, always, Kirsten, make sure that the notes are put in the description of the video. Um, so, you know, well done. And our, our brothers and sisters in prisons get these a bit earlier because of Tammy and Ramona Matthews. Thank you for all the work they do there. Uh, there are 50 plus people right now holding Bible classes using our notes in that prison, which is pretty cool. And thank you all for helping that work. We're going to do the same as we did last time, and that is work off of um, some work done by Neil Anderson back in the 80s. But we're going to arrange it to where if you've got your Bible open or if your app, you'll only have to progress forward. So there don't be hunting all over the place, all right? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, in the original Greek, it's very nuanced. What it means is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't, you can't you know, brush this away. And some churches try by saying, but those people over there aren't really in Christ Jesus. Well, first of all, that's not for you to judge at all, period. Jesus said so. Unless you're completely sin-free, then you are allowed. Give that a shot. Also this, even if they're not in Christ, according to your definition, whatever that might be your standard, huh? are they not made in the image of Christ? And therefore, should they not be treated appropriately? It is amazing to go into a store where the people might actually believe that you are made in the image of God versus you aren't. If you're pulled over by a police officer in America, by the way, they have firearms. And in Britain, it's a much more pleasant thing when you're pulled over. You know, it's, ooh, he's been a naughty boy. You know, no, I've been naughty. And it's very nice. It's very nice, actually. Over here, there are weapons involved, tasers. It's, it's uh, quite a bit. If you see the blue lights go on behind you, would you rather that person believe that you are a handmade creation of God in the image of God, or that you just got lucky on the wheel o evolution that you're not an algae and you have no purpose and meaning? Which do you want? 
How do you want to be treated? Jesus says, no condemnation. And as was read to us by Sean today, God doesn't condemn us. If God doesn't condemn us, may I ask, who's that guy on Twitter that thinks they can? And so if they do, it doesn't matter. I've often been asked, how do I deal with hate mail? Well, I don't. I don't debate them. I have no interest in it. That's their opinion. And their opinion is completely invalid because I have Jesus' opinion. No condemnation. How about, same chapter, let's make it easy. Chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. Uh, Let's see if you recognize this. What do we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Would you rather your teens hear this, your middle schoolers hear this, or hear what the world's saying? Say, no, you belong to God. And their opinions don't matter because they don't know. They don't know the standard. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It is not phrased in a way that most modern minds absorb the meaning correctly. So this meaning is very simply, if God thinks you are worth the blood of Christ, who is anybody else to say otherwise? If he gave up Jesus for you, was God wrong or confused about your value? He withholds nothing from you. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? I almost once again think, welcome back, Cotter, an American sitcom of long ago, and Horshack going, oh, 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 because there are always people, I'll I'll condemn, I'll, I'll bring a charge. No, you're not qualified. It is God who justifies. Who's the one that condemns? No one. And you're thinking, well, I've seen people condemn. According to God, it's not even important enough to consider. He goes, no, nobody's tried. They haven't given it a go. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, raised us to life. It is, you're free from any charge against you. I was playing golf. Uh, There was a tournament, and our church had a, a league we played all the time. And then when the tournament came... In the city, they, they farmed us out among other people. Um, and I was playing with these three guys that weren't part of our church. And one of them asked, well, what, you know, what church do you go to? And I told him. And he goes, oh. And he named a person. I'm going to say Bob because it wasn't his name. All right, Bob goes there, doesn't he? And I said, yes. And he says, you're the minister. And I said, yes. And he goes, well, you ought to know that Bob isn't real Christian whenever he's not around you. He will start, I put my hand up said, stop. People don't expect that. They expect you to be nice. I'm Christian. That doesn't mean I'm nice. There's a difference. And he looked at me and I said, because he is my brother in Christ, I will not receive an accusation against him. And if what your point is, is he behaves better when I'm there, thank you. That's my job. My job's to make people better when I enter the room. And if you'd like to come to church and learn what I'm doing, that'd be brilliant. But I will not let you slander one of my members. He got real quiet. He was probably a bit more nervous and tense the rest of the game. I didn't care. We were done. He's made in the image of God. I love him. I'm not condemning him. 
but I also won't receive an accusation. No. Uh-uh. How about this? Same place, and this is what was read. What will separate you from the love of God? Did you hear what Sean read earlier? What will separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. There are some people out there that have been taught a legalism that I was taught, and that I was actually, uh, somebody actually used that in an illustration Thursday night when I was in Nashville, Arkansas. By the way, fascinating story. People left this region and went over there to settle, and so Nashville, Arkansas is near Murfreesboro, Arkansas. I'm serious. It is so weird driving through there going, I don't think so, um, but it is. And, and they even have a severe county. So I'm going, well, I'm home, evidently. Very, very, very sweet people in Nashville, Arkansas. And one of the ladies said, brought up an illustration. We were told that if you died with any unforgiven sin, you were lost. And so all through the day, it was a panic. Forgiveness of our sins was in every prayer, was it not? And at night, you wanted to make sure, if you were like me, sometimes during the prayer, as you're in the bed, you go to sleep. And you went, oh, no, where did I leave off? You had to make sure you front-loaded it with, forgive me for all my sins I may have committed. And she said, so that if you, you know, were in a car wreck and cursed as you're sliding off the road and die, you're going to hell because you didn't have a chance to. Oh, my goodness. No wonder people give up on God. No, there's no... Con- What's going to separate you? You said a naughty word. No, nothing. It's there, Nothing. How about this one? Let's move forward to 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians never gets the love 1 Corinthians does. And I don't understand that because they're both, Corinthians were rough people, really rough people. Maybe that's the point. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Now I want to remind you, the Corinth church was a mess. They were absolutely at fist over things. Some of them were still going to see sex workers at the different temples. Other people were making the Lord's Supper into a, hey, look at how much great food we have. Sorry about you starving over there moment. Seriously. Their gatherings had become almost the opposite of everything Jesus wanted. And Paul still called them Christians, saints, fellow workers, and beloved. You know why? Because he did not condemn or bring a charge against God's people. We don't either. And by the way, you don't get to define God's people. That's always the out. Well, yeah, but you know, the Catholics are. Stop it. God's people. He goes, he goes on. It's God that makes both us and, and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Very simply, I'll just do this quickly. Have you ever had family over, and so you get the red cups out, you know, the solo cups? You have, that's, in Tennessee, it's fine dining when you see a red solo cup. Come out. Some people do fancy other colors, but we're really not sure. They're probably liberal. Uh, and when, when you get out, there's a marker there, right? What's the marker? This is mine. I'm not treating spit with any of you. You know, so you put the name there, right? What happens if somebody's drinking out of your cup? What do you do? You just kind of... It's mine. God has set his seal on his people. Do not mess with them. They're not yours to mess with. Love one another. 
That's, that'll keep you busy. Just do that. How about this one? Philippians, Philippians 3 always reminds me of an embarrassing three seconds in my life. I'll tell you about it. Philippians 3, 18 through 21. As I've told you often before, and I tell you now again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Don't be surprised when you run across them. There are a lot of them out there. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Do you know, do you know what that means? Their God is whatever they want, whatever they feel, whatever they think. In other words, they've made themselves the standard. They've removed God and made their stomach God made their appetites God. And their glory is in their shame. How many people will go out and you just have to accept me as I am and they list all the things that we say are sinful. And they glory in it. No, we don't need to. We don't need to support it. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you're a citizen of another country now another nation. You know, I've traveled all my life. That's what our family's always done. And, you know, I've been drug about by my parents to about every place you want to throw a dart at. And then I found that after I left home at 16, I kept going too. And in the last, well, this month, I've visited a lot of different house churches and I've got more coming at near the end of the month with, um, a trip through uh, Georgia, the Atlanta area, and then, what is it, three different places in Florida. I, I love that. That's what I do. I travel about, I meet people, I try to help people. But sometimes, even I, I can remember I was 17 years old, the first time I was in a plane that landed at Charles de Gaulle Airport outside of Paris. And as we landed, we're taxiing, and I'm looking up at the, the parking lot, and I said to my companion, the person beside me, I said, look at that. I've never seen so many foreign cars in one place. <laughs> they weren't foreign. I was. I was the standard. So when I landed, this was all wrong. And you'll find Americans, you'll find Americans somewhere walking down Paris or in the streets of Geneva going, where's the McDonald's? And you're going... You're not the standard. That you're in a different place now. You are a stranger and a pilgrim here. By the way, I'm not just picking on Americans. Generally, the British are the loud drunk ones. Uh, just no, no, no. We are travelers here. We are not citizens here. We are citizens of another country. The world can do what the world wants to do, but we have a king. And we follow our king. More on that through the month of July. There's a little spoiler, not a spoiler, teaser, that's the word. Our citizenship is in heaven. How about 2 Timothy? Well, first of all, how about 2 Timothy? I think we all, we all love the, you know, the pastoral epistles. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, I've said this to my kids, I don't know how many times as they grew up. For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, that gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You discipline yourself. You don't discipline other folk. You discipline yourself. You have love, you have power, you discipline yourself, but no timidity. Most versions do not call it timid. Do you know what they call it? 
fear. People are fearful. Will that person like me? Will I be accepted? Do I look all right? Do I feel? Stop that. You do not need a, a spirit of fear, but of self-discipline. There's a wonderful Jewish fella, and he's, he talks about his Jewishness. That's why I would who uh, became morbidly obese. He was over 400 pounds. And on Twitter, I decided to follow him because he has said, you know, this is not going to beat me. I'm going to beat that. And he gets up at 4 o'clock every morning and takes a picture of the alarm. And then he goes to Planet Fitness, which I didn't know was open 24 hours a day, which quite frankly, I didn't know was open at all. But he goes to it <laughs> every day and, and does his exercises. And he's, eating. he's lost over 100 pounds in 11 months. And he keeps saying, I can do it, you can do it, we can do it. You know, I will not let it have me. And watching him, you know, I'll hit the like. I don't normally do a comment, except some people attack him daily. You're being fat phobic. You should accept yourself. Or they will go after him because you're eating the wrong, you're doing it wrong. You're losing weight wrong. You should be doing it this way. And I always say, what you're doing is a lifestyle, not a diet. Change your life, and the pounds will go away. And if he hangs up and doesn't lose weight for a week, you know what that's like if you tried to lose weight. I always say, I'll write him and say, if you're doing what is right, sometimes you will gain weight. In the, in the, the aggregate, eventually, you'll get back on track. Don't change. I do that because I want him to know he's doing the right thing, self-discipline. He's not telling anybody else to do it. He does it. We do not need fear. We're not afraid of any charge. Now, by the way, your feelings are your feelings. You can feel fear, but fear does not run us. But there's something more than security in our identity in Christ. We are also somebody. I forget which comedian it was, but there was a, a woman comedian years ago that said she always wanted to grow up to be somebody she just wishes now that she'd been more specific. And I thought that was just brilliantly phrased, that that was a wonderful, wonderful line that we all can understand. We are somebody, God has given us meaning, a meaningful task, and meaningful relationships, which, by the way, we know in psychology are the three things that you must have to prosper. And God gave it, God gave it to Adam and Eve, gave them a meaning. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you are the dust I breathed into, handmade. The only thing in creation is handmade are human beings. And then you have a meaningful task. Guard this garden. Keep didn't mean just weed. It didn't mean make it pretty. It's the same word the cherubs were told to do for the garden later. Guard it. Keep Satan out of it. Keep destruction out of it. And then a meaningful relationship. Adam, Eve. Eve, Adam. Nice thing about that relationship Eve never said, have you, have you been seeing someone else? That was nice. You know, there was, there was some pressure off that relationship right there. Well, Adam and Eve lost it. They blew it. We know the story. But God was not content to leave us that way. Through Christ, we are given meaning, community, relationship, task. We are, Matthew 5, 13 to 14, you are salt and light on this earth. You are. Now, here's the thing about salt and light. Salt and light are known in, in science as positive forces, which means if you're doing an experiment, you must account for the presence or absence of salt or light because they are metaphoric. They, they change things. And it's, think of it this way. 
whenever you have a plate and someone set a salt shaker there and says, do you want salt on? You have an opinion. You don't have a, yeah, I couldn't care less. Either way, you want salt on your beans? Okay, maybe. Salt in your coffee? Probably not. You, know, you have opinion. Light is the same. There are times I really like light. There are times I do not. In some hotels, if you're on the first floor and some truck comes in with its brights right through the window, you know, I didn't want that. I have an opinion about light. The world will have an opinion about you because when you walk in the room, you change the experiment. You are metaphoric. You are a cause agent merely by your existence. You are salt and light. Make a difference. If you're walking into a room and it's not making a difference, well, let's work on that. By the way, all of you in school are off the hook. I'm not asking you if you're a little bit timid, a little bit shy, to all of a sudden become an extrovert. That's not what this is. But around some people, they're going to need salt and light, and that's going to be you. But that also means that some people aren't going to like you. Please remember, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are baptized. Next couple chapters, they're thrown in prison. Same people, same message. Just continue to be salt and light. You are, John 15 and verse 5, you are a vine off the true branch of Christ. The chip off the old block, they say, I have no idea where that came from, it's American. Uh, that you're the apple of my eye, don't get that one either. Shakespeare used that one, so it's a British, it, you know, the British do the same thing. These arcane things, but we all know, we know what it means. I can remember the first time I took Duncan as uh, probably four years old, he was a not toddler then, to mom and dad's house for summer to, to visit for a few days. And as Duncan sat beside her, he put on a ball cap. And my mom just looked at him, and she was just tearing up. And I was thinking, well, we think he's cute. What's wrong with him? And my mom said, it's just like I have you again. Well, I don't think Duncan and I look a bit alike, but we get that every now and then. I think it's more our attitude. <laughs> people go, oh, yeah, you're related. Um, but people should see Jesus in us. But this isn't, a, this isn't one of those things. This not a sermon where we're going, you're not doing it enough. We're saying people do see Jesus in you. And as you know, some people run to Jesus and some run from him. But it's not your fault. Jesus is in you. You're, you're a branch of And you might be thinking, well, I've got a really horrible life. You know something? He needs his people in there too. He needs his people everywhere. I'm going to do this rather quickly. The notes are available. Acts 1, 8, we are witnesses of Christ. As I've told many of my friends that are atheist or agnostic, I'll just say, just watch me. If you can find another reason for what I do, tell me. But just watch me. We are, as we brought up a couple of weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, we are temples of God, but my favorite is in 2 Corinthians 17 and 21. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not 17, 21, it's 5. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. I've got to correct that, too. Um, we are ministers of reconciliation. The world drives us apart. How many times have we been told, it is so divisive, it is so divisive, it is so divisive. And politicians will get up and say, I will bring us together. And the next, next speech is, we hate those people, we hate those people, those people hate America. And you're going, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? We are ministers of reconciliation. We bring people back to God. By doing that, we are bringing them back to reality. Reality is God loves them 
and forgives them and wants them to walk with him. That's reality. Open their eyes. We're God's co-workers. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, but also 1 Corinthians 3, 9. We are God's co-workers. And that was to the people in Corinth, may I bring up once again. A church none of us would go to. But God did. And he called them his children. Ephesians 2 and verse 6. I'm hurrying because I have another story I want to tell before we end. Ephesians 2, 6. You are seated. Verb tenses, we brought that up last week. Are seated right now with Christ in the heavenly realm. You're already there. It is, it's rather like Hebrews 12 that says when we gather for the communion that all of those who have gone before are also with us. And we are with them on the holy mount of Zion. Now, that sounds like, oh, well, maybe that's a nice thought, but it's important. No, in science, we, quantum physics, we know that time being linear is just a concept. And we know that now is then and then is now. And we, it makes sense in quantum physics. You might be surprised how many physicists believe in God. A lot. A lot do. Physicists, mathematicians, the people that see the, the patterns and the order and they and they go, yeah. And how many of them came to God because of it? We are right now. You're already there. Relax. Live for Jesus. Love God. Love one another. This group will put no other burden upon you. And because of that, chapter 3 and verse 12 of Ephesians, you have boldness. Go before the throne. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you don't like. You're allowed to do that. I can remember a preacher saying, you don't argue with God. Then I read the Old Testament. <laughs> Well, somebody should have told them. And you know what God did? He adjusted. God said, I'm going to kill all these people. Moses said, don't do that. He says, okay. But you know what you're getting. <laughs> you know they're going to be a pain. And Moses goes, yes. He goes, okay, we'll do that. In fact, he even talks to Moses another time saying, let's try this or we'll try this. And then we could try this. He, optioned, he, he works with us. What an amazing thing. So you can go to him with freedom and confidence, Ephesians 3.12 says, says, because we're not going to get kicked out. I have an ongoing conversation with God right now about the way we die. I think it should be different. I think we should come with a sell-by date that's there. Oh, okay. And when it comes, it's throw a switch, you're done. Instead of the 5, 10, 16 years, whatever of, of... you know, that, if it, but again, God knows what he's doing, and I know he knows what he's doing, but it doesn't, it doesn't hurt for me to talk to him about it. Talk to him. And then the last, you know this one, Philippians 4, 13. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is a qualification there. I can't do evil through Christ. I can't lead a crusade to wipe out the Muslims. That was done, but you can't do that through Christ. No wonder it fell apart. They were completely awful. They were run poorly, led poorly. There, are, there is no glory in the Crusades. It's rather like those of you that like the conspiracy theories about the mighty Templars. Templars never won a battle because they had stupid rules. Just 
You can't do that through Christ. But I can love my neighbor through Christ. I can give money to charities through Christ. I can travel to an alternate Nashville in another existence called Arkansas and visit with them. And I can, I can go up into Illinois that ran out of names. So you have Cairo, and I know they call it Cairo, and Cuba, and all of those. It's just like, let's get a map and spin a map. Let's get names in here. Pennsylvania's worse. Look it up. There's a California, Pennsylvania. There's an intercourse, Pennsylvania. I don't know whose idea, who thought that was smart, but God loves you. That's the reality. It's amazing, isn't it? We have a world with Jesus, but so many want to trade it for a world without him, where what somebody says about you becomes your opinion of you, and you take your life. I'd rather deal with the reality of a world with Jesus. There is, no, there is nothing gained in trading away Jesus. New York Review of Books, uh, I think it was that the New York Times Review of Books this last week, did a review of Ted Lasso, a show on Apple Plus that has run three seasons and now it's done. There may be spinoffs. But it talks about Ted is an evangelical Christian without Christ. He is Ned Flanders on The Simpsons, Simpsons but no Jesus. And because that was taken out and that, was, that, that aspect is taken out, the show fails to really produce what they wanted to produce because you, you lost the motivation. They also brought up um, Andrew Claven on a podcast uh, yesterday, I believe it was. It might have been day before. It's worth going. It's a pre-podcast. Andrew Claven, it's K-L-A-V-A-N, um, did a world, it's an hour podcast, you should hear it, called How Did America Go Mad? And he talks about books and people and interviews that gave all the credit to Christ, and yet when they were published, all of that was taken out. Drew Brees and Sports Illustrated had to cover on faith driving them forward. But the way they described it, they even said it's really faith in excellence, faith in this. It, they took out all the Jesus. How's that working for you, world? Don't do that. Like Esau, they trade away their eternal inheritance for a momentary meal, a bit of fun, something called freedom, which is nothing more than slavery. I'm going to tell a story. It sounds too good to be true, but it's true. Think of yourself now back in the 60s, late 50s, early 60s. High schools around the country were encouraged to take place, of, uh, rather take part in a competition designing the house that you'd like to live in or the best house you can think of. And a lot of them took up the challenge. And this young girl in the Midwest, in her school, that had never done anything like this before, won the best in her school. And that was quite the thing. You know, neighborhood schools back in the day were quite, you know, invested. So there was a regional, you know, several counties, and she won that one. And everybody's kind of blown away. They don't know what to do about this. She won her state. You know, the state fair. They had to exhibit all of them out. And after you went past the cows and the chickens, you saw all of this, and she won that one. And I mean, the local papers going about it, local radio shows interrupting the stop and swap and the weather reports to, to bring this up. And she now gets to go to Washington, D.C. for the national competition. Well, back in the day, kids, you got on a bus. 
you didn't drive. You got on and you put your kid on the bus because all of you couldn't go. And there weren't phones except at the stops. If she put in a dime or a nickel in some places, you could call back for a few minutes. There were no cell phones. There were no ways to do it. But she went on her own. I think she was 15. There in Washington, D.C., she's riding high. All of these things are going. And she didn't win. And she didn't place. She didn't get an honorable mention. So she's sitting in a cafeteria that's lined by all of these projects. And um, she's not eating her lunch. She, you know, how, how do you do this? How do you go up, 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 and boom? How do you ride home knowing you're going to face all the people that sent you off? Yay. What do you do? And for some of you, you're thinking, oh, it's not that big a deal. You're not a 15-year-old girl, so hush. It's a huge deal. Well, while she sat there, very depressed, pervasive sadness, perhaps, she saw an old man come into the cafeteria, and he walked around looking at the different projects, including